Am I up now? Good morning. My name is Jerry Curran. I'm delighted to be here with you this morning. Uh, right off the bat, you'll notice my accent. I apologize for that. I work with Interim Pastor Ministries, and we're assigned to churches. Uh, I've done three so far in Ohio, Pennsylvania. And the last one was in the Hudson Valley, just south of New York City. And I know I picked up some Bronx accent, so I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I go around saying, you skies, you know, in my car. I want to introduce you to my wife, Sandy, if she would come up. Sandy and I uh, met in college, and uh, we both became Christians through a campus ministry, Campus Crusade for Christ, crew. And so we've been ministering together since college. So Sandy is a daughter and wife and mother and now grandmother. And uh, what else can I say about her? She has been a registered nurse all her life. She's published in McGraw-Hill uh, textbook for nurses. And she also finished her career at the University of North Carolina, a great teaching hospital. And, uh, but her passion has always been discipleship and women's ministry. And I'm going to ask her to introduce herself to you. And, um, but, but, to, but to make clear, you know, she's not... I have my ministry. She has her own volunteer ministry, and, uh, and I have to share her as will you with grandchildren. So uh, uh, she'll be in and out. But this is she of whom was said at one of my churches as we were finishing up and leaving. One of the elders said, Jerry, we really hate to see you go, but can we keep Sandy? <laughs> and he thankfully said no. <laughs> um, as Jerry said, I do... Um, Women's ministry is extremely important to me because of, of two reasons. One is it's a format to teach biblical womanhood, and it's also an opportunity to teach um, spiritual mothering or mentoring, um, as we found in, in Titus 2. So um, biblical womanhood, when we begin to understand more and more what it means to our creative design that we find as a helper, and then also our redemptive design as a life giver, then I, what I discover is that a church will grow. As women grow in that, the church grows in compassion and community. And then that compassion and community grows into mentoring as we enter each other's lives um, to point each other to Jesus. And what I found is that that is, I'm actually mentoring is one of the greatest joys of my life. I love entering the lives of other women and being able to share what Christ has has taught me, but I also love it when other women are in my life and teach me what God has taught them. But beyond the joy is the importance of what Jesus says in John 17, where um, Jesus said, we need to be one so that the world will know that you sent me. And I believe it's through understanding who we are as women, entering one another's lives, that we demonstrate to the world a unity that does tell the world that Jesus is God. So, and many people often ask me, Sandy, how do you do this? Um, how do you keep moving from church to church? And as some of you heard me say yesterday, if I'd never said goodbye, I would have never said hello. So if God is calling us to this church, I just want you to know that I want to I want um, to be here for you, and I want you to be here for me as we enter each other's lives to grow in Christ and point each other to Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. 
The question before us this morning that I would like to pose to you, you'll see it there in the summary notes on page 8, is why a purposeful interim? Now, interims uh, traditionally are uh, pastors who fill the gap when one pastor, beloved pastor, is retiring and leaving and before you find the next one. And that, past, that interim pastor fulfills the pastoral duties of preaching God's Word and visiting and, and leadership. We've added the word purposeful or intentional. And with my organization, there are about over 100, 120 of us that have ministered in over 1,000 churches nationwide. And we come with a purpose, with an intention, and that is to strengthen the church during the transition, not just paddle and hold position, but to strengthen. The reason is that churches change and culture changes. Would you imagine 10 years ago where we are now in our society and the questions that we're having to discuss and answer? And the church has to discuss and answer those questions, and we actually need to be on the cutting edge of answers because we have a source of revelation from God in His Word. So churches regularly, every five or ten years, let's say every seven years, need to step back and evaluate themselves. What is our purpose, our mission, our vision? What are our values? What are our goals and objectives? A vision. What does it look like five or ten years from now? What would this church look like? A vision is a mental picture that motivates. What's the mental picture of where we're going to be in five or ten years? And going through a process, we help lead a church through five steps. Going through those five steps then helps the congregation and the leadership to answer the question, what type of church are we and where are we going? What does it look like? And therefore, what kind of pastor do we need to lead us to that next five or ten years? There, out of that comes a, a job description, a, a, a picture uh, of what the next pastor should be like, the skills that he would have. And then the search committee, using that, can go to work to try to find that type of person. Now, uh, we also in Scripture have a biblical pattern and picture of a purposeful interim. His name is Titus. In fact, the Bible is full of wonderful people. Uh, the Bible is populated with people. Other books of other religions you can, there aren't many people to take out, like the Quran. But in the Bible, if you took out the people, there wouldn't be much left, would there? It's stories about people. In fact, I like to preach some things like on the Minor Prophet. I want you to meet a few of my rowdy friends, the Minor Prophets. Well, Timothy is my friend. I've never met him, but I've gotten to know him. Excuse me, Titus, Timothy and Titus. And Paul had led Timothy and Titus to the Lord, and then he had discipled them. Then he had trained them up. As he said in 2 Timothy 2.2, the things you've heard from me in the presence of faithful witnesses, these things impart to uh, faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And Paul was helping start the church throughout uh, Asia Minor and Europe. And as he aged out, other men came up to fill his place. Titus was one of them. He's quite a guy. The first thing, Paul took him to um, Jerusalem and would not circumcise him because he was Greek. He was not Jewish. And this young man, Titus, had to stand the brunt of, well, if you're a Christian, you should be a good Jew and get circumcised. And Paul said no, and Titus was his sample. Uh, Timothy did get circumcised because his parents were Jewish, his mother's. His mother was Jewish. 
Now, later on, there was problems in Corinth, and they were taking up a financial collection for the poor in Jerusalem, and there were problems there, conflict with Paul. So Paul sent Titus to Corinth to finish the collection and solve the problems. It was so hot there, and Paul had been so insulted, he said, I'm not even going back until things settle down. And so he sent Titus. And now he's sending Titus to Crete. Crete is an island in the Mediterranean. It's a large island. There are just numerous cities there, always have been, as many as 100. In the summer, it's warm and uh, sunny, and it's a vacation island. Right now, it's divided between Turkey and Greece because it's between Turkey and Greece. And so Timothy was sent there with a purpose. He was a purposeful interim. In fact, it says at the end of the book of Titus, Paul says this, as soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I've decided to winter there. In other words, when you finish your job, Titus, leave. And that's what purposeful interims do. We uh, are, are not a candidate for pastor. We cannot and will not be. But we are here for a purpose, and once we fulfill that purpose, then we leave. And I believe in when, I, when you leave, you leave. You know, I hope I make many friends here, but we will no longer be your pastor if we come and we're here for a time and then we leave. You have another pastor. And that, by the way, is one thing a purpose for interim does too. It gives you the opportunity to learn to listen to another voice. So as you miss your 15-year pastor, you can take it out on me and not on your next pastor. <laughs> I'm used to it, you know. For the, uh, for the, if, I, if we're with you for those months, you'll be saying, boy, he's not like Steve. And then you'll get that out of your system. <laughs> it's a normal, it's a normal, normal response. So uh, we're going to talk about Titus' purpose. But first of all, that purpose was given to him by Paul. So first, let's talk about Paul's purpose. Now, the book of Titus is like, is a bargain. It is a deal. It is condensed. It is compact. When I preach on Titus, there's usually at least five sermons. And there's a, a full sermon on Paul. And he puts things together so carefully. So let me just show you what I mean by that. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Okay, right there. He's a doulos, a servant or a slave of God. Every person who has confessed their sin and repented and turned to Christ and their Forgiveness has come through the sacrifice of Christ, and they have become a Christian. They have been born again in their hearts, and they've been baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. Everyone of that description is a doulos, a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ. See, first he made us, God the Creator, and then he saved us. So by two signs, we are servants of God. So all of us this morning... If you are under Christ, you are in the same boat as Paul. You're a servant of God. But he adds a second word, okay, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So see, even though all who follow Christ are Christians, each of us has a particular job. Paul, as a Christian, was appointed as an apostle. Apostles are like super elders. Elders are in one church. Apostles are all churches, okay? a super elder. And that points out that once we come to Christ, then he has a particular purpose for us. God is a purposeful God. 
He created Paul. He planned what Paul would be like. He gave him the necessary character and gifts to do the job that he appointed him to be, an apostle. God has appointed me to be a pastor. You know, I wanted to be something else in life. And then I got a draft notice in the mail, and it said, you're appointed as a pastor. And so I go where I'm sent and do what I'm told because I'm a soldier. And but he has a plan for you. Everyone is given special gifts, special job. You may be a teacher or a grass mower. You may be an elder, a deacon. You may be a leader of women's ministry, a committee member, or a committee chair. You may be an usher. The church is a wonderful opportunity for people to find, okay, what, what does God want me to do? And you may do something this year and something next year. So Paul, you see, was a doulos, a servant, as we all are, but each one has their own job appointed and equipped to do Paul was an apostle. He was an apostle for a purpose for, I'm using the NIV, this for. For what purpose was he an apostle? What was he supposed to accomplish? God is a purposeful planning God. He, had go, he has goals and objectives in history. For the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth. That's what his job was. For the faith of the elect of the other Christians, to build that faith up, deliver it, and for the knowledge of the truth. And then he says, knowledge leads to what? Godliness. Let me take a sip here. I had a little sore throat after talking yesterday, and I took one of these lozenges, and it did a good job on my throat, but it made a persimmon out of my mouth. That leads to godliness. And then he gives this wonderful faith uh, story, uh, summation of what the gospel is. The reason he's concerned is because Crete had all these churches and believers, and we don't know how and when that happened, but they were relatively new. He doesn't mention deacons. They hadn't grown to the point that they could have elders and deacons. They were still training uh, up leaders. And so Paul is concerned that they take the first step, which is knowledge, faith, knowledge godliness because if we don't live it out i mean if it doesn't work at home why export it it was so supposed to result in a life change now he was particularly concerned because he gives this descriptions of cretans liars evil brutes and lazy gluttons down in page 12. Uh, how would you like that church and he says, and this testimony is true. <laughs> That's quite a reputation to have. But the amazing thing is, he expects life transformation from these Cretes. I mean, even the term to be a Cretan, have you ever heard that? It's a negative term, isn't it? But these new Christians, he expects there to be life change. Because he said, look, down here in verse 15, those who are corrupted and do not believe, he says to the end of 16, they are unfit for doing anything good. But then he contrasts this when he says oh, over in chapter 2, he says, He gave himself for, to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. You see the contrast? Good for nothing those who don't believe, eager to do what is good, those who repented and believed. 
And he says there, Timothy, you're, Titus, your job is to teach and preach. And he says, exhort, demand, enforce all these things so that people's lives will begin to change. Give them the truth. Make sure they understand faith. Give them the truth. And out of that will come godliness. But apparently there's another step, and it's called discipleship. And discipleship is called, we call each other, hey, we have the Ten Commandments. The Holy Spirit is working in us to change us. Let's live out what we are. Well, what does it look like? It looks like doing good, eager to find good things to do. Now, do you know how transformative that is for a family, for a town, for a society, to have a cadre of people that are eager to do what is good. And Paul is very concerned. And this letter, by the way, um, was written for public consumption. In fact, we see that uh, it's not as personal as it could be to someone who is his son in the faith. At Timothy, he's talking about taking a little line for wine for your illnesses, you see. I told someone the other day, I, I grew up Baptist, and I'm still kind of Baptist. We'll have an altar call at the end. <laughs> <clears throat> but um, yeah, I became a Presbyterian so I could dance and drink. You know, <laughs> I tell people, <clears throat> and I still can't dance, and I never developed a good palate, <laughs> so I'm still struggling. Um, and then when I became a Presbyterian, I found out I thought I was a pastor, but I found out I was a minister. And I thought the pastors lived in parsonages, and someone corrected me one time at Presbyterian said no, it's a man's. You know, ministers live in manses and, and pastors live in parsonages. And so that's the difference between Presbyterian and, and uh, Baptist. Uh, so I had to learn all this stuff, you see. But he was telling Timothy what made me think, take a little wine for your illnesses, a very personal uh, word there. Titus is not like that because uh, Titus is like an apostolic legate, a delegate. Actually, he's a bishop of all these churches. And Paul wanted to make sure that they knew that, that Titus had his authority. So he wanted this letter to be read out loud. And we know that because at the very end, uh, end of chapter 3, he says, Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be, grace be with you all. Now, you all is plural, and we know from two things there. Since it's plural, this was meant to be read to everybody. Okay, And we see that Paul was from South Galatia because he said, you all. Now, Paul was sent on purpose by God. And look down here in chapter 1, verse 3. He says, God who does not lie promised before the beginning of time, and at his appointed season he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. You see that word? At his appointed time. God is purposeful. He has a time frame. He has things that he wants to accomplish, and he sends people to accomplish those purposes. So Paul had a purpose. He tells us what it is. He is an apostle for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, which God in his appointed time has revealed through the preaching of the gospel. And we live under that age where the gospel is being preached around the world to everybody instead of to one select group, one tribe. So since God was purposeful, 
and he sent Paul with a purpose, then Timothy has a purpose. Well, what is Timothy's purpose? He gives it to him down there in verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete, that's a purpose statement, was that you might do two things, straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So Titus is under authority, but he carries with him the apostolic authority of Paul. So that's why the people should listen to him. That's why uh, this morning I'm, I'm wearing a tie for the first time in about five months because I had to wear my apostolic legate identifying suit and tie. <laughs> so you'll know that I'm sent from God. You see, that, that's how we distinguish. I left my halo back at the hotel. I didn't want to overwhelm you here uh, on the first meeting. So Paul, as he said, I sent you, and this letter is being read out loud, okay? And you got two jobs. Number one, straighten out what was left unfinished. Now, he doesn't specify what it is. Do you know why? And every church is different. We are always unfinished in the church. There are always things that need to be fixed and always things that need to be straightened out. After all, that's part of our job in the church. We wouldn't have a job if everything was perfect. We're here to fix problems, reach people, love each other, have community, the pillars that you came up with. But Titus's job was to help at this point in time the things that needed fixing, get them fixed. So when we come, like Titus did, you know, as a purposeful, my job is to help you think through. I'm not bringing any great plan. Don't think that. God is going to work through you to look back, look around, and look forward and say, where have we come from? What things in our history, what things should we celebrate, and where did we stumble? Where, if we could do it again, we'd do differently, okay? How are things going on right now? I come in and I look at uh, elder and deacon minutes back uh, at least two years. I look at all the financial reports. I talk to as many of you as I possibly can. And sometimes we even do search, uh, church surveys. So we have something called natural church development we use a lot. And, and we hear from you because you live here. This is your church. I even work with something called a transition team, a group of people appointed by the elder board. And we look at all this stuff. And then we start talking about what is the purpose of the church? What's the mission of the church? What's the vision of the church? What are the values of this church that guide decision-making? So what are the goals and objectives for the next one year, five year, and ten years? And then we bring that to the uh, elders and deacons, and they look at it and massage it, and we go back and adjust it. Then we present it to the membership, to the congregation, so that we're all united around a vision and a picture of what, who we are and where we're going. Then we start looking for pastoral candidates. And a sharp candidate will say, well, where do you picture yourself in five years? And sometimes the answer is we have no idea. That's why we're bringing you here so that you can figure it out. What, you, what we want you to do is move you and your family here and figure all that out. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, then you'll leave. You want to take that chance? How about this? You know, I'm glad you asked that. We just spent the last few months, and usually we're in a church about 12 to 18 months. We just spent the last few months reviewing all that through a transition team and a congregation, and we have all agreed and written it down. Would you like to see that? 
And that candidate gets excited because he says that I don't have to do that. And then he can look at that, those things and say, can I do that? Is that what God has called me to do? Do I have the gifts to do that? Do I meet the pastoral profile? And so that we straighten those things out. I start out by very quickly, getting number one, getting to know you. Number two, making some quick suggestions to the leadership if there seem to be some things that need to be uh, attention immediately. And then we start doing long-term planning. And then we put all this together, and then I help coach the uh, search team. I'm not a member of the search team. I'm not his chair. I'm, I'm a coach to help them do the best job, giving some tools and stuff like that. The second thing that he told Timothy to do was appoint elders. And one of the things I'm most interested in is discipleship and leadership development, and I focus a lot on that because our job is the things you've heard in the presence of many witnesses impart to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So one of the things I do is do like an officer class and their wives. And as a matter of fact, we invite anybody who wants to come. And then we go through officers, calling, character, duties, doctrine, so that they understand those things. And we all know what are our officers supposed to do. Then committees, committee chairs, women's ministry, missions ministry, Christian education. So we're all knowing what we're supposed to be doing and where we're going. But we can't get anywhere without good leadership. So we're doing leadership and direction. And that was Paul's uh, uh, reason for sending Titus. And he says it very clearly. The reason I left you, straighten out what's left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. town. Leadership and direction. What then, that's uh, Paul's purpose. He gives it very clearly in the first uh, paragraph. Now we know Titus's purpose. Well, what then is our purpose? He said, those who don't believe are unfit for doing anything good. Now, let's be clear. Every human being is created in the image of God. I asked for some reverb with the sound, so when I say God, it said God, da, da, da. <laughs> We're all created by God in his image. That's what separates us from the animals. It's what gives every human being intrinsic value. And as we respect God, we respect every human being. It doesn't matter the color or nationality or gifts or whether they are smart or whether they are handicapped. Every human being has that dignity and respect that we give. And we need to be clear on that. So when we say not fit for any good work, human beings, because they're created in the image of God, can do a lot of good things. And that's why we have citizenship and countries and we support as citizens good things in our country. While Paul is saying good things, they're acceptable in God's sight. Because even good things, if they come from a rebellious nature, I mean, can a thief pay his fine with stolen money? Can a rebel do work, good works before God that the works themselves are an act of rebellion? Because I want to do this my way. He's saying we can't do good works until our sins are forgiven because our sins separate us from God. And therefore, once our sins are forgiven, then our works are acceptable to God as an odor of sacrifice.
But he ties these two together very clearly. And I've given you several verses there, which, you know, I'm not going to try everything. But you see uh, over here, I talk about our purpose, us as Christians. Now look at verses 11 through 14. Paul lays out the gospel uh, so amazingly here in a compact way. Um, and he does this, for example, in verse uh, I've had this Bible all my life. I got it at my first church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I've got all sorts of markings in it. I've had it rebound. But when I bought this Bible, I could read this. The uh, <laughs> I could read the, the verse numbers. And I can't even read the notes I wrote in here. But I think this is verse 14, 13 or something. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. There's a negative part to the Christian life. And worldly passions. And here's the positive. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. There's the no and the yes. Turn away from this and turn toward this. And we're to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. To be freed from self, to be freed from sin, to have a God-given purpose of a seed planted in our hearts to do good, to do good before God, to do good to our fellow man, to do good to our neighbor. That's what the result of this transformation is. And Paul is very desirous that this group of believers in this fallen society of Crete demonstrate the difference between light and darkness, between unbelief and belief. And he says the key to it is faith, believing God, and knowledge of the truth. And that knowledge of the truth shouldn't stop in the head, but goes down to the heart and to transform lives. And he says, Titus, part of your job is to, he says, remind the people, chapter 3, verse 1, uh, the things that he told him to do. Chapter 2, verse 1, teach, remind, exhort. And that's what, you know, officers do is reminding and exhorting each other well why do we need exhortation because even though we have this new life coursing through our veins and the holy spirit working our minds and heart we still have this body of the flesh don't we and sometimes the things we want to do we don't do because there's a war going on within us between our new nature and our old nature between the flesh and the spirit and we need each other to encourage us, to comfort us, to exhort us. And it starts with me as a pastor. It starts with the elders and the officers and then the committee chairs and the committees and the parents and the teachers. We're to keep reminding each other and exhorting each other. Follow the Spirit. Don't follow the flesh. How about a community of people? Jesus' very own, 
eager to do what is good. That's Paul's picture. That's our job. And that's why he sent Paul the apostle and Titus the interim pastor, the purposeful interim, so that it would have an impact on you. That's how Sandy and I measure the impact of our ministry. If we see a people of God loving Jesus and eager to do what is good. That's what he wants to do among us. And we're so delighted to be here with you because we've already seen and heard of so many good things that you're doing. And we're encouraged to hear by report and sight that the word of God is already bearing fruit in your midst. The question is, how can we keep that going and multiply it? And in five years, what will that look like? And what kind of pastor do we need to lead us to that spot? Let's pray together. Our great Father and God and Lord Jesus Christ, Lord of the church and Holy Spirit, we thank you for sending Paul the Apostle with the purpose of faith and knowledge for the elect. And that he sends people like Timothy and Titus to carry on the work. We desire, Father, that you lead this congregation to that next pastor who fits the needs of the next five or ten years. But most of all, we pray that your word might dwell in our hearts richly and that our lives might demonstrate the fruit, the eagerness to do what is good so that we can please you and so that we can represent you well to our neighbors. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.